it was also super hilarious because I was building up my Patreon and I was like, what are my tiers? What could I possibly name them? Like, I want to do something on brand, on theme with what I'm doing. And I was like, I cannot think of it. Should I put different movies? How will I decide which one's better than the other one? And my Patreon levels, tiers, are actually Batman and Robin inspired. It is the bat, the bird, the villain, and the vixen. And it is Batman, Robin, Mr. Freeze, and Poison Ivy as the highest possible thing you can Well, do. now I need to go re-up my membership because I want to be Poison Ivy. That's $50 a month. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> Your fave bad movie. Hello and welcome to Your Fave Bad Movie. I'm guest host Jessica Levity, day lover, coming to you from Dream Life Studio. And with me is the insanely talented, the unfairly gorgeous, the one who gives the breath of life to your favorite bad movies, the one who gives the second chance to your fave bad movie. Hold on. <laughs> I'm giving all of this in. This is exactly it. No, I'm editing it out. I'm editing it out. I had it. I've been thinking of this for days. Oh, okay. I'm doing it all again. <laughs> the insanely talented, the unfairly gorgeous, <laughs> the one who breathes the breath of life give second chances to your fave bad movie the Iceman cometh joe daniel montalongo <laughs> and that's been this episode thank you so that's much perfect. for that's listening. all we needed honestly yeah. hi everybody <laughs> what things are you watching right now um right now i have been on the weirdest journey of what i am watching because since we're still dealing with miss rona here in july of 2020 I have such a short attention span to anything where I have to sit down and watch. So I've tried to go into things that are a little bit more familiar that I know that I already enjoy, something I don't have to plug my brain into. And then on the opposite end, things that are in different languages that I have no idea what's going on that use a different medium and style to talk about. Um, I just rewatched the Three Colors trilogy, Red, White, and Blue. Very fascinating. I think Blue is my favorite, but I think Red is clearly the best. And just... I forget that movies can be legitimately so good. And tell you a story in a way that's not just here's a b c but it's like here are these characters here are these characters we're going to take time from the main story to tell you this and this is going to fit in later and we're going to do so in such a clever and distinct way and the third one wraps up that entire trilogy in such a beautiful way where all the stakes have already been raised to as high and as big as they can go and you're like how is it possibly going to wrap this up together because you cannot tell where any of the story is going to go and then it does so in just one beautiful swift motion you're like man this handed me my ass on a silver platter. That was really sexy. How are you finding what you're going to watch next? Are there directors that you're just um, a fan of or... It's interesting. I pick different things because I am very much a mood watcher. I'm really good at recognizing what I'm in the mood to accept. Sometimes I'm like, I don't want something heavy. Sometimes I'm like, I don't want something light. Sometimes I'm like, I'm ready to give my all to whatever movie you give me. So it better be a movie that rewards that. And I'm kind of good at picking those movies. But during all of this... Um, I've just been connecting with a lot of great friends who either are doing movie recommendations or when a new movie's released, they're like, hey, you might like this movie. You should check it out. Now it's available for streaming on one of the 47,000 apps that I have for movies. Um, or I join a watch party. And honestly, those are probably the best way because I'm like, if it's something that I've never seen before, we, I get to have the communication with people who maybe have. And then it's just a fun thing to watch with friends. So that's a thing. Like, are you in groups? Yeah. That have watch parties? Yeah. Um, so I, I host some Netflix parties. Um, I started them on my birthday because Netflix released that extension for Google Chrome, which was a lot of fun. 
And then there's this other site, 2.7, and you can have um, a, a video chat and, like, an actual typing chat while you're watching the movie. Oh, my which God. Which is super, super exciting. Yeah. And then I'm in this group of horror writers, directors, actors, people who write, uh, people who live in this kind of world. And then we have them every, like, two or three weeks. And then the person who runs them is fairly well-connected. He has his own website where he does a lot of this conversation, um, Terry over at Gaily Dreadful. And he brings in some of the writers and the directors of the movies that we're watching. Or um, we also have a girl who works for Netflix who does a lot of the promotional art. And she kind of designs the templates for which promotional art you get to see based off of what you will like to inspire you to watch this movie. Because every movie has like five or six different like artworks that you could look at. And they try to cater one towards you. So if you watch a lot of gay shit, they'll try to promote like... A, a man looking intently into another man's eyes, whether it has nothing to do with the movie or not, but they're like, you might be more susceptible to pick this one. Wow. And then she gets to explain that art to us, which is always super exciting. And then our first thing before we even join the watch party, she's like, okay, so when you go log into Netflix, t- send me a picture, send me a screenshot of whatever you found. And then I just want to see what, I just want to see what that says about you. It's a new horoscope. Wow. I love that. And That's it's always so, much so interesting. And sometimes you watch bad movies. Um, I am on here today. Mostly because I have a favorite bad movie that has been probably my favorite movie, like no asterisk, no nothing, my favorite movie since I was three years old. And it has been this movie. And I was like, I need to wait for the perfect situation for this to happen because I want to be a guest on my own show. I need to talk to someone about this. And no one is stepping up to the plate to talk about this movie. And I was like, it's time. And unfortunately, there was a recent passing of the director of this film this past week. And I was like, you know what? Joel Schumacher. Yes. And I was like, you know what? I owe it to myself. Three is my favorite number. If I could be the premiere episode for my own podcast, season three, and talk about my favorite bad movie, um, I obs am going to do it. Jessica, why are you here? So Joe Daniel reached out to me and was like, will you please be the guest host so that I can be the guest on my own podcast? And I was like, oh, my God, I am so honored. As long as you know, and I know that you know, that I am highly, highly, highly unqualified as any sort of film buff, film nerd, film critic, film aficionado to do it. However, I am obviously extremely talented obviously of a radio producer and podcaster and personality and interviewer. So you know what? Just hand me over the damn paper. (laughs) Put me in the driver's seat and let's fucking do this. So we are here to discuss... Your fave bad movie, which is? Batman and Robin. And I texted this bitch, the one from 1997. (laughs) What were you like three? And I was. I think my body had been born into this world, but I physically, my soul, my heart, and my brain were not born until this movie came out. So when did you first see it? I remember seeing it in theaters. Okay. I remember seeing it in theaters, and then I remember having the VHS tape that I would watch with me every single opportunity. My mom would make sure to pack it in with all of my lunches and dinners to all of my babysitters. And I was like, this is the one thing. Just like, if Joe's having a bad day, throw on Batman and Robin. If Joe's having a good day, throw on Batman and Robin. If Joe is alive, throw on Batman and Robin. Do you know what the rating is? Uh, the rating was PG. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense. That surprises me. I would have thought it just because of the intensity. Yes. Like I was five minutes into this movie when I paused it to see how fucking long it was. Because I was like, <laughs> oh my God, Joe knows I hate intense movies. It was like two hours. Well, I was rewatching because I had always watched it as a child. And I guess this is not a good barometer because I've always been watching horror movies since I was a little kid. Okay. So I'm like, honestly, I was one of my favorite movies as a kid was Showgirls, which was NC-17. 
So honestly, blame my parents for the way that I am right now. And um, I was like, this is congratulate them bad at all. And rewatching it, I was like, oh, there are some elements of sexuality and also the horror elements in this. I'm like, I don't know if I, I should have been handling this properly at three years old, but I did. And and I did yesterday, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> so let's talk about the release date of this film, Batman and Robin, June 20th, 1997. Um, hello, we just passed the anniversary. Oh my God, we did pass the anniversary. Another reason it was meant to be. It was meant to be. Good. This was our time. Directed by Joel Schumacher, written by Akiva Goldsman. Mm-hmm. That is a dope name. Thank and you. you told me that it was a gay man from the 90s, gay white man from the 90s. Um, So Joel Schumacher was the gay white man. Got it. I thought you said the writer Sorry, was. Sorry, my bad. No, Joel Schumacher. He, is Akiva, uh, was it written by a female? Because that is such a cool I believe name. Akiva is a man. Oh, man. What a dope name. And Joel, um, have you seen The Lost Boys? No. So another queer film of angsty teenage boys who become vampires in Santa Cruz. And that movie also turned me on to being alive. And I love it so much. If you're listening to this podcast because you're a film aficionado aficionado, (laughs) and it offends you to hear someone talk about films that doesn't know anything about films, you're going to have to turn off this podcast right now. But I am who I am and I'm just going to own it. I don't know directors' names. I don't know actors' names. And to be honest with you, I've never seen a Batman movie until yesterday. You were so lucky that this is your first thing. You know what? Five minutes in, I was like, what the fuck has Joe done to me? What have I agreed to? Why am I doing this? How am I going to get through the next two hours? I was texting you live updates of my thinking. And then every time I would go to text you, I would miss something because there's 1,200 plots happening in this movie. <laughs> so much plot. But then I have to say, like, 30 minutes in, I was like, oh. I get it. I'm into it. <laughs> I'm into it. So, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. A bull choice. George Clooney. <laughs> as Batman. Gay choice. Chris O'Donnell as Robin. Reoccurring choice. Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. The best choice. Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl. A choice. <laughs> this is your soundbite for the preview right here. That was fucking amazing. Michael Go. Go. Goff, I believe. Goff. Van Gogh. You know, it's like, is it Van Gogh? All right. Michael Goff as Alfred Pennyworth. Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. So um, there are four Batman movies in this original franchise. And the first two were directed by Tim Burton. And the second two were directed by Joel Schumacher. I had no idea they were all tied together. I thought they were all just individual Batman films that sometimes had the reoccurring cast. Um, Pat Hingle and Michael Goff were the only ones that were in all four. Wow. What does that mean to you? It actually allowed me like, oh, these are all tied together, which I didn't understand because the first two movies had the same Batman and then Val Kilmer came in to be Batman and then George Clooney came in to be Batman and then the series died after this movie for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I didn't realize that they were tied and then Chris O'Donnell was in the last one, Batman Forever, with Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones, Andrew Barrymore. And I was like... I don't understand how this all lives in the same world because it just keeps building and all these like artists have different inflections right. upon it. And I, it was just so special. And I loved this Mike, Michael Goff. I think he is my favorite Alfred so far because he plays his role of like, he stands eye to eye with Bruce Wayne, the person that he serves, but he's also like a friend and accomplice without having to make too much of a show like Michael Caine's Batman and the new franchise. Okay. So it's been and very interesting. I like that point. And when I see these other Batman someday, I'll keep that in I mind. I have the first four on Blu-ray with 
wholly loaded special features. I don't have a DVD player. I'm going to have to rent that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Digitally, okay? They're Blu-rays. How dare you assume that I have DVDs? Okay, so <laughs> is there a difference? <gasps> <laughs> now, keep in mind, not only am I years behind on pop culture movies i was also trained in the early part of this decade by several marvel only gays and i know you know who i'm talking about exactly yeah and i'll scoff in their face too they also have some points like i'll give it to them batman the films actually created a large discussion about superhero movies and what you can do with them and they did it three different times and then Marvel kind of picked up the ball and started doing their own thing. So I do have to pay them respect for what they do. Okay. Now, Marvel's franchise has just ruined movies forever. But So, Batman and Robin, IMDb score, 3.7 <laughs> out of 10. That's a failing score. Uh, Metacritic, 28%. Ooh, not going to get very far in life with that 28%, son. Tomato meter, 11%. Oh, oh I'm cringing. And the audience score... 16 percent how do you feel about this um i in preparation for this listened to a couple other podcasts where people were talking about this and people were just shitting on it and people just did not understand what this movie was doing and thankfully i had no other frame of reference so the language that this movie spoke became my language so i can see everything that it does and i don't think other people can because other people's complaints are like it's too campy. It's too much this. Like, it doesn't make sense. There's so much going on. The stylistic pieces oh make no sense. I'm, I'm like, having such an aha moment because right before this interview, we were talking about the importance of semiology. <laughs> and what you're saying is that these people already had their semiology in place. So when they watched the film, it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But this film formed your semiology. You, you as a person is making so much sense to me. So I want you to give us the plot of this movie before I just like the most neutral is not going to be real but give us the plot and then i'm going to steer you into your interpretation of why this movie is actually genius perfect thank you Mm -hmm. so batman and robin bruce wayne and dick grayson live in the giant mcmansion owned by bruce wayne and his family and they are crime solving vigilantes that dress up at night and go stop criminals from doing criminal business Um, There are two new foes in town, Mr. Freeze, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is planning on holding the city hostage in order to receive money to be able to finance research to help uh, cure his wife's disease. He is very stuck in the fact that there is one woman for him, and it is Nora Freeze, and she is in this vat of water floating beautifully. And he is going to cure her of stage 4 McGregor syndrome. And Poison Ivy is a biological terrorist, as some have referred to her as, where I just think she's a person with a point. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, if I had watched this movie before my awakening, I would have been like, oh, she's a villain. But now I'm like, no, this bitch is a hero. And and Charlotte Webb just came in here to announce to the world that she agrees. Please ignore my fucking crotchety cat in the background. Back to you. And so Batman and Robin now have to defend Gotham City against these foes that are plant-based and ice-based, while at the same time, one of their beloved family members, Alfred Pettyworth, is succumbing to stage one McGregor syndrome, and his niece, who is two generations younger than him, is coming here to take him away from this life of servitude and live the best final days in a great place. And Batman and Robin have to figure out what it means to be a family, what it means to have a found family, a common queer theme, and how you decide how you can trust someone and what you're willing to do with that trust. Mm. 
well said. I love it. I love the class themes, the ecological themes, global warming, billionaires, servitude, all that stuff. So now I want you to tell me why this movie is actually genius. This movie is actually genius, regardless of whether or not you like it or not. I think Joel Schumacher had a vision for this movie. Okay. And he comes from a background of queer sensibilities. And if you look at the lighting, if you look at the costumes, if you look at the settings, if you look at the villains, if you look at who they cast to play these villains, if you look at all the acting, I think it forms this perfect vision of what he had in mind. Whether people were receptive to it or not is a different story. Whether people were wanting to recognize what it was he was doing, because he made Batman gay. He made Batman very gay. And for a lot of, like, straight men who stereotypically are like the basis for comic books and superheroes and all these things that women are never allowed to exist in in. my experience not true at all correct (laughs) um but they were just like you can't do this to one of our beloved heroes because batman is very much like a i suffered trauma when i was a young child and that trauma now defines who i am and i refuse to grow from it and instead of doing active work to do it what i'm gonna do is dress up spend a bunch of money fight crime and i'm gonna dictate what's right and what's wrong because of what was done for me oh snap and That's, this movie that shit is deep. And this movie said, let's talk about found families. Let's talk about dressing up and having the time of your life. Let's talk about spending extravagant amounts of money on suits, on gadgets, on having ice skates attached to your boots that you just wear on the daily, despite never being prepared for an ice themed villain, um, rubber lips, bisexual lighting. I think it's perfect. I think it is so beautiful. How can I get bisexual lighting? I feel like that would help me. I put a blue in one corner and a pink in another corner. There it is. And there it is. Tell me, because you talked about what a queer icon and queer lens this movie had, which thank you, because now I'm following, falling more in love with this movie, which is why I love your podcast. Thank you. And why I love you. Thank you. Um, what role did this movie play in your own queerness? This helped me realize how fun it was. Because, like, in Cruel Intentions, which I previously stated was a movie that helped me define my sexuality, um, I was like, oh, okay, so my sexuality is being a villainess. I want to ruin other people's lives. I want to make out with everybody. And then I want to use that against other people. (laughs) And this movie was like, what if, on top of all of that, you could live in, like, this flower fortress? You had a henchman who'd do anything that he'd tell you. Or you could be a Batman. Or you could be a Batgirl and just get these super close close-ups of you gearing up for a night out on the town. You get to show how beautiful your plump butt looks. Your boobies look great. The cod piece to protect the family jewels is incredible. And you get all these silly Mm one-liners. All of Uma Thurman's affectations were like, what if I were to talk like this for the Mm -hmm. rest? of my life you know what which i found annoying at first and then you convinced me that it was a choice do you want to talk about that because i found it very convincing well it's a lot of people were saying like uma thurman was the one who was living the most in this world she was hamming it up and people didn't like that and i was like why would you not like an actress who is so committed to the bit that she changed up her speech pattern to fix it because like arnold schwarzenegger has one speech pattern and it is the one that we've always heard george clooney's doing his I'm George Clooney, and I sound like this, and you will listen to me, and I have something worth saying because I'm a white man with money, and it's yeah, good. Yeah. And Chris O'Donnell's, like, screaming at everybody because he went to some school of acting. I don't know which one it was, but it wasn't the same <laughs> one George Clooney went to. Um, and Alicia Silverstone, had, Alicia Silverstone has her weird Drew Barrymore kind of lisp, but not as there. 
Um, and Uma Thurman was like, what if I played into it? What yeah. if I was a drag queen and I changed my speech pattern? I gave you all of these different looks and her hairstyles and her giant leathery, not leathery, uh, feathery jacket that she mm-hmm. removes to remove like a one piece green suit with a cute belt. All of it. She is serving like 90s drag queen. I haven't quite learned the arts and crafts portion of my shtick yet. Realness. Yes. Yeah. And me being three years old, I was like, this is everything that I've wanted to do. I was telling you and your husband that I would just practice her walk. Mm-hmm. When I was young, people were like, what are you doing? I'm like, in my head, I'm living the fantasy. Or I would practice her dance. And that is... What set me off, like, how I, – I think I move very awkwardly. Like, none of my pieces are attached correctly or they're all attached with string and I look like one of those weird dolls. But um, in my head, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> in my head, that's what I look like. In that, my head, that's the world that I'm living in. And I support that in you. <laughs> and you mentioned you're like, you know, the nature versus nurture argument. Do you want to talk about that with regard to your gayness in this movie? Yes. Um So I was telling Jess that um, I got my wings when I saw this movie. And it set me up for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I wanted to live in this world. I wanted to dress up. I wanted to be as glamorous and as luxurious and as twisty and turny as the whole plot was. And before that, I don't remember anything. I remember that I watched Scream and I was like, I like horror movies. I remember I watched Showgirls and I was like, "Um, I want to be Gina Gershon so bad. (laughs) Um, And then Cruel Intentions. And I was like, I want to be a villainess. And then this movie was like, you can do all of that. And live in this weird, stylized, over-the-top, fantastical, campy world. And ever since then, that's just the world that I live in. I'm like, things aren't real. Consequences don't feel real. Reality doesn't feel real. I'm just going to give you a look over my shoulder, give you a like witty one-liner, and then walk away. And, you know, speaking of witty one-liners and puns, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze had a lot of them in this movie. 27 of them. Somebody counted, and there were 27 ice puns in this movie. He talked about, um, what, what was the frost line that I was like... Oh, he probably says that when he comes all over you. Oh, my God. Um, Here comes the frost or something like that. Yeah, here comes the frost. And I was like, he's definitely saying that as he nuts on your tits. Freeze in hell, Batman. (laughs) And everything he says. Um, you know what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, did he just say that before he lit this whole fucking museum in ice? Um, so I want you to tell me why you think this movie gets such terrible ratings. Because, one, we still live in a homophobic society. We still live in a society where if it is not black and white paint by the numbers, here is how this should go. We have a strong aversion to it. And this movie not only did that one time, two time, three time, this entire movie took what you would have expected and flipped it, dipped it in glitter and threw it back up in your face. And if you're not ready for that, that's not something that you're looking for. If you're looking for a Batman who lives in the shadows and comes out and can't move his fucking neck because the costume design was ridiculous, like Michael Keaton's, um, which those are still really great. I'm just talking shit because I like to talk shit. Um... I can easily see how you're watching this movie and you don't get the themes. You don't get the over the topness. You don't live in this world. If you don't live in this fantasy, this just seems so ridiculous and out of control for you. So you think Joel Schumacher knew what he was doing? I think he did. I think he was trying to present a vision. And I think people were interested enough in his vision that they kept going. Or After the years passed, he apologized for this movie because it did tank the entire franchise until 10 years later. Or I guess 
seven years later. That's kind of harsh. Very harsh. And jo- and George Clooney actively refunds people for watching this movie. He says it's one of the worst things he's ever done, if not the worst. Um, Christopher O'Donnell. A lot of the cast say, like, I, it is incredible that we still have careers after this movie because a lot of people make movies like this and their career tanks for the rest of their lives. Really? So people have apologized for it. I'm like, I don't think you should. I think we should be able to live in a world where we're not just oversaturated with the same gritty, realistic tone of a movie and this movie went all in on its vision well and like it was kind of ahead of its time and like like when you know poison ivy comes in what's the her name is like a scientist uh pamela isley yeah she comes in with this like yo the billionaire class the humans are fucking this earth up and we need to stop it that was 1997 1997 yeah and they let a woman say that Yep. And then she gets punished for it. And yep. then she comes back and uses and she sexuality. comes back as a villain. But she doesn't even try to be a villain at first. What she mm. does is she comes in and tries to talk to Bruce Wayne. And she says, um, here is my entire plan that I wrote out for you. Here is what we can I do. I solved this problem for you, Mr. Rich White Man. Here's what we can do to help protect the ecosystem. He's like, well, people would die because we'd like our world would be too cold. And she's like, okay, that's fine. Get rid of the virus. Mm-hmm. Like People are obviously fucking this up, which I guess... That's not the best way to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. But we but, need to listen to her. There well, could have been I, a compromise. He I invites think, her to a ball. I think her point was that nature creates things in order to re- like get returned to homeostasis. Yeah. And so her point was like, if people are going to die because we do the right thing, then that's nature running its course. And it's really only humanity's fear of death that makes us value lives over ecosystem and this movie was super death positive it comes back again with alfred when he has that epic line about there is no failure in death Mm -hmm. and so this movie is pushing a lot of positive themes that i feel like are really important to me now so to see them being pushed in 1997 is like cool because i'm like wow i think that now but then it makes me depressed because i'm like oh man people were pushing this shit it's like watching angela davis videos now and you're like oh god she's been fighting the good fight for a long time and And people still refuse to listen and it's still relevant you can listen to her talking in the 60s and you're like wow that's exactly what's going on right now yeah. And, and especially with Alfred, with death being such an important theme for Batman, because Batman was That's born right. of the death of his parents and he cannot get over it. And talking about how he didn't get over his trauma. And then here's Alfred. Giving Who now is his like, um, what's what's the word? Caretaker? Care- well, it's like his father figure. Yeah, his father figure. His surrogate is what I was looking for. His surrogate father. And he has to lose his father all over again. And Batman's like, well, now I'm finally a vigilante now i'm finally stopping crime now i'm finally doing all these things and i still can't prevent this from happening Ugh, I and then alfred is saying like that's okay that is the human course yeah you need to be able to grow from it and learn from it wow yeah i think this like i actually got so much more appreciation from watching this because so many of the issues that i care about are coming up in this movie like there was a line batman and robin the militarized arm of the oppressors that was a poison ivy line and i was like this bitch is not a villain you can fucking take (laughs) her off the villain list because well and that's been the best part about i i think when I say that Batman is my favorite superhero, I maybe just haven't read enough, but I've, I've always been interested by his rogues gallery and by his family. Mm. And by his rogues gallery are all people who the system fucked over and they said, fine, we'll do it our way. I mean, apart from the Joker. Joker's just chaos, but that's one unique person. Everyone else, Mr. Freeze is like, I just want to save my wife and we can't do it this way. Poison Ivy's like, we need to take care of Mother Nature. 
like our literal home mm-hmm. and everyone's ignoring her. Um, Bane in this movie, in the comics, he is also just a bad person, but he is one of the smartest and toughest foes that Batman ever has to face. He is legitimately so intellectually brilliant. Hmm. And in this movie, he gets reduced down to, like, a security guard. Kind of, like, barbaric and... Yeah, but I but I think that this movie made the choices that it needed to. And when you hear about, like, because Joel Schumacher wanted to make another one after this, and he was going to flip the entire um, Batman, like, universe and canon... And he was like, I get to do that because I'm. I, this is how I'm playing with the Batman toys. Mm. And these are the stories that I'm telling. And as a filmmaker, I've always wanted to do those kinds of things. I love and I, and that. I think this movie set up a lot for how I view movies and what I look for in movies. Because I don't need I don't need them to all be Oscar qualified. Right. I don't need them to be in Cannes getting a 14-minute standing ovation, which those are great too. But the movies that I go for, I'm like, how do players interact with each other? What world do they live in? What are they giving me that I don't get from other movies? Movies that are unique and distinctive and have personality and style, I think are so fantastic. I love that. So I want to ask you what your favorite scene is, but I'm going to throw a couple more in there at okay. you at the top of your head. What do you think is the most controversial scene in this movie? Controversial. Um, I think the arrival of Batgirl was very controversial, um, mostly because it was only a lot of that men were able to save the day. And in this one, because also heteronormativity, Poison Ivy is able to get the one up on Robin. She throws him into the pond where the f- the things are trying to drown him. And then Batman comes in and he's like, no, girl, you need to stop. And then she's like, sorry, my vines have a crush on you. And then the vines pick him up and pull him into the ceiling. And boys are so stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's working her pheromone magic on all of them where they're literally fighting and not accomplishing anything. And Batgirl comes in and she's like, um, read a feminist manifesto. What you're doing is not okay. And if you had something to say, you could have said it the right way and not using your looks, which is also maybe sometimes anti-feminist. But I think that for 1997... Some form of tone policing. Yes. For 1997, this was doing the work. And then they get to have their major battle, which is super exciting. And the girl wins. Well, and I was really surprised because when she came in, me not knowing anything that she was about to become Batgirl, I thought she was going to be another villain because she comes in fucking pissed Mm -hmm. at the class issues that Uncle Alfred has been living a life of servitude and that she was here to free him and has been motorcycle racing to save up all of her money so that she can free her uncle from having to serve some fucking oppressor. And I was like, yeah. So I thought that she hated Batman. And so then she then, became part of the Batman. And then, like, That's what money will do to you. Money corrupts. Yeah. Well, and, but then like, I think seeing that video of Al- Uncle Alfred being like, I expected this to happen. And then maybe that won her over. Okay. So I'm with you on that. What do you think is the most important scene in the movie? The most important scene. Um, obviously, anything with Uma Thurman is the most important for me and my development. But I think the most important scene is at the end when they have just stopped all the bad guys shenanigans. They are in their living room waiting for something to happen. They have just tried to cure Alfred and they're waiting to hear back. And Alfred comes in and is like, is this what I taught you? And then they're just so excited. And then they decide, okay, we are family and we are partners. This is easier if we do this together Mm -hmm. and we can accomplish more. And, like, this movie proved it because if it was just Batman, Batman wouldn't have been able to stand up to both of them. Right. The world would have been fucked over. There would have been no possibility for him to unfreeze the lasers and fight ba- and fight uh, Mr. Freeze and save the two people that were on the edge of that thing and fight Bane. So, like, it was important to bring it all together. And I think for a queer perspective, I think that's super incredible to decide, like, who your family is, who you're going to allow that trust, mm-hmm. and who you're going to work with and um, build a better world. And what is your favorite scene? My favorite scene... That's so hard. I think all of this movie is my favorite scene. I I, I have two. 
It is the fight where Batman and Robin are fighting Bane in Mr. Freeze's lair. And Poison Ivy is trying to seduce them individually because they both keep attacking Bane one-on-one. And the line that literally gave me life was when Batman was like, you know what? Enough of the pheromone magic. I'm taking you in and you're going to jail. And Poison Ivy said, I'm a lover, not a fighter. That's why every poison action figure comes complete with him. And then uses her foot to point at Bane, who like grabs Batman. And she's like, try not to make a mess when you die. I was like, oh my God. I don't know what my penis does, but I know that it likes, it likes this. Um, and then when Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze are shouting their plan at each other, because Poison Ivy comes in, super dope outfit. She presents herself to Mr. Freeze and Mr. Freeze is like, first, I'm going to freeze over Gotham and then the world. And he has like this big man, bad guy monologue. And then Poison Ivy's like, just what I had in mind. Anyways, here's my plan. <laughs> and then she gets to one up him. And then Mr. Freeze is like, yes, Adam and evil. And then in any other movie, that would have been the final thing. And Poison Ivy gets to be like, yes. And she gets the final word yeah. both times. And I thought that was so fantastic, especially because Mr. Freeze is so big and loud and out there. And he's like, the world will pay for what it's done. And then Poison Ivy's just like, mm, mm-hmm. mm. yeah, that sounds good. She did break a lot of like boundaries, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. She's very Lilith in that way if we're going with archetypes like Adam and Eve from the garden. But before Eve, there was Lilith. We don't talk enough about Lilith. I I know. She is my shadow archetypal name. And I think she's a fucking badass. Also deemed a villain, but is actually a hero. Which is... We've just always hated strong women who were right. I... There's the fucking line of that's the title of the podcast right there. We've just always fucking hated strong women who were right. Look at the midwives that we burned because we thought they were witches. Girl. I. Women were the original alchemists. They uh, And we still are. Yeah. We fucking pull life in from other worlds and put it. Well, some of us do. Correct. And push it out. But at least the female spirit is connected to something. Mm-hmm. on the other side that is at least more connected than the male spirit IMO <laughs> can we talk about some reviews yes, we on can. this movie so let's go to a bad review and I want to hear what you think so this review has half of a star not even one star I didn't even know that the freaking graphic emoji could fill in half of a star No, Mr. Freeze, the Ice Age did not kill the dinosaurs. You're off by only 60 million years, which is exactly how this movie is from being even remotely decent. Oh. How can you say that? Just, even if you don't like it, the experience that this movie takes you on is incredible. Especially if you're high, which you did instruct me to do before watching this movie. Mostly because I knew you would build up a lot of walls. <laughs> and I was like, if you just let those walls go, you will enjoy this significantly. And I think that's my thing for everybody. If you build up, if you remove the walls that prevent you from enjoying what this movie has to give, you will enjoy it. I don't know if you'll like it. Right. I don't know if you need to like it, but you will enjoy it because it does so much. Here's another one star review. Ugh, this is the nader of the Batman franchise. Everything about it is wrong. George Clooney plays Batman and Bruce Wayne the same blandly. The script is way too silly. The notion of Batman and Robin hosting a fundraiser and carrying around bat credit cards is just plain ridiculous. I forgot about that part. 
Arnold Schwarzenegger in Bad Makeup choose scenery as Mr. Freeze. Bane is a muscle-bound henchman, and whatever Alicia Silverstone was playing, it was not Batgirl. <laughs> Only Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy does a halfway decent job. The film did kill the franchise and lead to the much superior Christopher Nolan films, so there's that. Dot, dot, dot. Which I do enjoy the Christopher Nolan movies. But look how vastly different they are. You are comparing apples to fucking cinder blocks. Nice. Like, it's not even in the same realm that you could adhere them to. Well, and they had different goals, it sounds like. Yeah, and different creators, different ambitions. And Christopher Nolan came back because he's like, I have to make a great, fantastic movie so that this company will allow me to make the movies that I want to make. And he I- came back into The Dark Knight so we could do Inception. Oh, wow. So it's all like a play for pay or pay for play. And Joel Schumacher was like, I just want to make this super cool Batman movie that's interesting and different. Maybe it triggers people that people can do different things with a character they think they know. It's 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 gatekeeping. Oh, it's absolute gatekeeping. And that's always been in the communities that I've come up in, which is the horror communities and these different kinds of tales. It's always just the straight male gets to say this is who the character is and that is the one interpretation of it and that makes no sense to me because I'm like, we've seen all the different comics as well in the history, even before this movie came out, there were so many different things being done with Batman and we were just like, these are great, these are interesting. So if a director were to do that in a media platform such as film, why wouldn't we not celebrate it? Because now we're seeing the same movie over and over and over and over again and we have like seven superhero movies per year and they all do the exact same thing. Wow, that is so fucking true. It's gatekeeping. It is. Um, so here's a five-star review. Very <gasps> underrated movie. Just rewatched it for the first time in 20 years, and it's fascinating. Fantastic design of the city and vehicles. Very cool comedy acting from Arnold and especially Uma Thurman. It's basically kids' movie filmed for adults. It is high production and artistic fantasy adventures comedy. Something we don't have a lot in current depressing times. I wish Hollywood produced more of that than super realistic movies about fear, torture, and murder. People say it's so bad it's good, but I think it's actually good as it was intended. Silly, flashy, intentionally stupid jokes with terrible puns. It's intended to be laughed at. Plot feels a bit flat, though, but it has a classic structure and not offensive in any way and keeps the movie going. Character arcs are completed in a satisfying manner, and all characters have clear motivations in contrast with a lot of modern high-budget movies when subplots and character bits are often lost in chaotic endings. Two hours of pure joy and laughs. Highly recommend. Did you write that? I wish I would have. I obviously cannot explain myself in such a short amount of time. Hence why I needed to come onto a podcast and talk about this for 13 hours. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely love everything that person says. And I've never been a person who understood reviews or at least starred reviews. Because I'm like, what do these numbers mean? Like, there's no qualification for this. They don't make any sense. So that's why I like to read what people say. Right. Because I've read bad reviews for five-star ratings. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And I've read, this movie has everything that you could possibly want, but it's like a 0.5. I'm like, what right. is, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, did I enjoy it or not? Do you think did it's an expectation it thing? Like people went into the movie with some kind of expectation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially you have Michael Keaton's Batman, the first one. Okay. So there is Batman's before this that created an expectation. Yes. And the first one was dark and gloomy and it made, superheroes were no longer silly. Like, they could be real, live in this great gothic world and be important and powerful. And then you have the follow-up, Batman Returns, which is better in every single way and has Michelle Pfeiffer in a skin-tight leather catsuit. And Danny DeVito as an actual penguin. Like, it is so good. And then Joel Schumacher uh, Schumacher took over for Batman Forever. 
um, which was the third film, and that had Tommy Lee Jones and Reed Carey, and that was a shift, and that was different, and that was very interesting, and people were like, what is going on? But it was still serviceable. And then this movie came off to complete this quadrilogy, and people were like, what the fuck is this? This is not the Tim Burton Batman. And Batman, the animated series, had become popular right before these two movies, which is super gothic, super real, changed the game for animation and for children's cartoons, and like changed all of these different codes and rules for what you can show on TV for children's programming. So it, it the time and setting for this movie could not come at a worse time when they're like, see all the great things we can do with superheroes and make them cool and realistic. And this movie's like, what if we did it? <laughs> What if this was just super fun and great and campy and we're allowed to do that too? And everyone's like, no. How dare you? No. Yeah. Your beer. And it's all the people who have always been gotten bullied for liking superheroes, for liking comic books, for liking these kinds of movies who are finally like, look, now I have a leg to stand on. And then there's someone else who's like, uh, you always had a leg to stand on. You're allowed to like whatever you like. And now let's do something different. And they're like, well, now I'm going to get made fun of again for liking this. So did he, did Schumacher go on to produce anything after this? Yes. He still had a really, really good career. There was some... Um, Highs and lows, obviously. And he was then suddenly being more out as a gay man. And he stopped, he let that influence a lot of his films where, I mean, most of us could always see it, but it was people who were learning to read what queer coding was, who were like, oh, I see what you're doing. And if you weren't into that, you were like, oh, this is just a regular film. But for everyone else, we're like, uh, they fucking, they fucking, these vampires are fucking. Um, and he did a couple of great things and he was able to be a prolific gay director and filmmaker. And it was super exciting to see. Um, I love it. So final question for you. Yes. Hypothetically. Okay. Could you domestically partner with someone long term who hated Batman and Robin and refused to watch it with you um, monthly? No. Mostly not because of Batman and Robin, but because if that person is setting up those super hard limits for something that I love and enjoy and will refuse to acknowledge in any which way, they don't need to be in my life. You know I feel what? like we need yeah. to grow together. I feel like we need to be open to each other's adventures. Yeah. And if someone says, I will not watch that movie, then I'm like, you know what? You don't have to. But the fact that you're such a dick about it means that I don't want to do this with you. <laughs> so clock that. Is there anything you want to say? Um, before we get to our social media plugs. Um, I want to tell everyone that it is okay that you do not like this movie. I understand that this is not a great movie, but I don't think we need to be as mean to it for the reasons that we expected, because I feel like those reasons are based a lot in homophobia and sexism. So if you just don't like it, say you don't like it and what didn't work for you, but do not go in on how much you hate and how trashy and bad it is, because this is a language for certain people and made those people feel really, really good. And actually developed their experience with cinema and made them want to watch more movies so maybe just don't shit on things that other people like so that's some hateration right there if you that's do some that hateration. and that's something that i have to take in because i'm also a hater when it comes to certain things so i am learning that lesson it's along with you know. all not one of us is better than the other let's just watch movies that we like and talk about them a little bit of shadow work within the movie realm right there so um i want to plug myself although um my direction is changing so much lately, but you can find me on the Instagram at Home Slice Productions. That's like my personal, and then like everything I do also comes out of there. Um, and a lot of my queer husband and queer baby are posted there. Uh. Home Slice Productions, and then you can find my social justice work now at Alchemist Movement on Instagram. And then I had a shady. 
like my shadow side, I try to feed through a Twitter, your judgmental friend. And that is judge with an E and also, and it also has an Instagram, your judgmental friend, but I am still trying to find my voice in that world now. Cause I'm trying to navigate the world of shadow work within anti-racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a lot more personal and not something that I feel like I can actually broadcast, but you can still find that's where I'm tweeting. Most of my shit is on your judgmental friend. And thank you for doing that work. Yeah. Well, I don't, you know, it's not about things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's like this one line in this book I'm reading called Me and White Supremacy. It was like, you will not get a trophy at the end of this work. You will not be rewarded. There is no cookie. I was like, oh, because my value comes from praise. Mm. Uh, my love language is affirmation. So heading into it would have just be I'm. I have no insecurity. I know I'm on the right path. So um, that's where you can find me doing the things. What about you, JD? You can find me personally over at Joe Daniel BB on Twitter, um, Petty Prince Jr. on Instagram, where I am delivering you fresh, hot content. I look so good in my recent posts. Um, uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. I think also Joe Daniel BB. No, JD Monty 25. I, I wish I was a person who understood what branding was because I was like, I'm different people across all these things. <laughs> but you look at everything and it's all me. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, there's, same uh, thing. There's a single voice there. Um, and then you can find this show at Your Fate Bad Movie on Twitter. I have no need for an Instagram. I can't imagine what I would possibly put up on there. Um, but if you like my voice, just keep following. And season three is going to be super fucking dope. Yay, I'm so proud of you. Um, join the Patreon. I'm sure you're going to do that tag at the end, so I don't need to say it. Or do you want me to? Uh, if you want to. If you want to speak some accolades. Yeah, so if you want to keep this young creative going who's pushing the boundaries of culture, pushing the boundaries <laughs> of humanism, beauty, art, art, um, just become a patron. I am a patron at $3 a month. That's nothing. Um, currently funded by the state. Thank you, COVID-19. <laughs> um, just check out uh, Patreon, your fave bad movie, right? Yeah, slash- patreon.com forward slash your fave bad movie. I also have a Patreon. I should plug um, yeah. patreon.com slash home size productions. But now I'm just doing so much social justice work <laughs> that I've really stopped my like broadcast work. But hopefully those are going to like come together. So yes, in a great fun way. Yeah. But if you want to like spot right now, I have one sponsor and that's my dad. Because he was worried about me surviving COVID. And then also log on to where you listen to podcasts and give this podcast a rating. Even if it's a one-star rating, your your voice still matters. I, 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 w- I am happy to accept criticism. Tell me what I could do better. Because otherwise, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing until someone tells me it doesn't. You know what? All ratings matter. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening. <laughs> If you guys like Batman and Robin, please tell me. I want to have this conversation with more Batman and Robin aficionados.